You're listening to a music and talk episode where full songs and talk segments play together only on Spotify. Best of all, you can create your own music and talk show for free with Anchor, Spotify's podcasting platform. Get started at anchor.fm slash music and talk. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M slash M-U-S-I-C-A-N-D-T-A-L-K. A lot of spelling there, but just do it. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's a shame that there weren't more Supremes songs about how trash men are often sometimes some men all of the time all men some of the time objectively trash myself included probably sometimes the supremes have been on my mind here in february 2021 founding member mary wilson just passed away at 76 years old and it's objectively trash to even imply that the supremes needed improving they're the apex of motown possibly the apex of the 60s probably the apex of girl groups of any era. But I do find myself drawn to the relatively rare Supreme song where they get the pleasure of getting a little pissed at a crap dude in their midst who can't spatially expand their horizons. You Keep Me Hanging On is a post-breakup song. It comes from a place of heartbreak, of yearning. I love you too much to be around you, you dipshit. But to me, there's a whole universe in the way Diana Ross sings the words, get out my life. An alternate universe with an alternate 24-song Supreme's greatest hits compilation of them just clowning various doofy gentlemen into the core of the earth. Which means more breakup songs, yes, definitely. But I also want to hear the Supremes clown strangers, catcallers, oglers, hapless cheapskate suitors. I want to let the senoritas step on some filas. I want them to lay waste to a few scrubs. Well, I don't have a car and you're walking. Oh, yes, son, I'm talking to you. Thankfully, TLC did it for them. TLC did it for all of us. One of the great bridges of the 21st century right here. My name is Rob Harvilla. This is 60 songs that explain the 90s. It's time to deal with TLC's No Scrubs. It's time for No Scrubs to deal with us. Fellas, you're so vain. You probably think this song's not about you. You have a shorty, but you don't show love. Oh, yes, son, I'm talking to you. 
They're talking to you. Atlanta's own TLC, of course, are another great candidate for the best girl group of all time. If you go by pure chart success, by sales, inarguably they're the biggest. By 1999, Tian T-Boz Watkins, Lisa Left Eye Lopez, and Rosanda Chili Thomas are famous. MTV famous, Grammy famous, Billboard chart famous, and mostly thanks to Lisa, tabloid famous. Their previous album, 1994's Crazy Sexy Cool, has at this point been certified diamond. More than 10 million copies sold in America. First female group in history to do so. And yet, and yet, still... According to No Scrubs, TLC are constantly badgered by crap dudes leaning out the shotgun windows of their buddies' mid-priced SUVs. They are still bombarded by amorous mediocrity. It's an outrage. Can't detect acquisition from your friend's expedition. In other words, get out my life, why don't you, babe? Wanna get with me? No Scrubs was the first single off TLC's third album, 1999's Fan Mail, which debuted at number one on the Billboard album chart and sold six million copies in America alone. No Scrubs was the number one song in America for seven weeks, though by volume, by sales, it's still not quite TLC's biggest song ever. That would be Waterfalls off Crazy Sexy Cool. Fantastic song, Waterfalls, no offense to Waterfalls, but I find myself drawn to the much more frequent TLC songs where they're at least a little pissed. They had a lot to be pissed about, TLC. For example, selling 10 million copies of one album and still being broke. For example, Chili's on-again, off-again relationship with fan mail producer Dallas Austin, who was musically a genius, but if not a scrub, then at least somewhat of a clown, romantically, in Chili's opinion. For example, T-Boz struggling with sickle cell anemia, which left her frequently hospitalized. For example, Left Eye's troubled relationship with star Atlanta Falcons wide receiver Andre Risen. She said it was an abusive relationship, though the media mostly fixated on the time she burned his house down. No Scrubs is, quite specifically, a song about broke rando dumbasses ineptly flirting with TLC. But as beautiful, as elegant, as seductive as this song about rejecting seduction is, there is an elegant fury radiating from it as well. TLC didn't bring baggage to this song. They brought ammunition, and they didn't waste any of it. TLC formed in Atlanta in 1990. One way to get their origin story is to watch the VH1 made-for-TV biopic Crazy Sexy Cool, the TLC story. A massive for VH1 ratings hit in 2013. Lil Mama playing Left Eye and so forth. That movie was executive produced, was authorized by T-Boz and Chili, which, you know, so much for objectivity. But I still find it illuminating in these circumstances, this question of how the artists see themselves or how the artists want you to see them, how they insist on their own story being told. Even when there's some whitewashing, some scrubbing going on, their truth is just as valuable as whatever the truth might be. So, T-Boz was originally from Des Moines, Iowa. I read recently, I very much enjoyed a 1995 interview with Sister to Sister magazine in which T-Boz said, quote, I am from Des Moines and I will say it all day long, never deny where I'm from and proud of it, but Des Moines sucks, end quote. My apologies to those of you 
from Des Moines. Left Eye was originally from Philadelphia. I don't want any trouble with Philadelphia. They meet in Atlanta. They form a trio with another aspiring star, Crystal Jones, hoping to combine R&B and rap and the collision of R&B and rap known as New Jack Swing. They auditioned for a woman named Perry Reed, known professionally as Pebbles, who had a few big 80s pop hits, including Mercedes Boy, which is worth revisiting because Mercedes Boy is awesome. And it also gives you some idea of what cutting edge pop music sounded like in 1987. Pebbles is, in the early 90s, married to L.A. Reed, the producer and superstar executive, who suggests that TLC, T-Boz, Left Eye, and Crystal, kick out Crystal, who, per the movie, can't actually sing or dance. Huh. They kick her out. Rosanda Thomas, then a backup dancer for the R&B duo Damien Dame, joins TLC, taking on the nickname Chili because it starts with a C. The girls sign some contracts without reading them. Pebbles will one day sue both TLC and Viacom, which owns VH1, over her unflattering portrayal in the TLC movie. They settle out of court. The first TLC album, released in 1992, is called Ooh on the TLC tip. I have been dreading saying that album title out loud. Possibly you have been dreading me saying that album title out loud. We're going to get through this together. TLC's introduction to the wider world, the wider world's introduction to the star power of Left Eye in particular, is Ain't Too Proud to Beg. I know in my heart that this is not the best TLC era, but there is an exuberant chaos to this record that is enormously appealing in a public enemy bomb squad sort of way. All the sirens and ringing phones and clashing drum loops and whatnot. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of people involved. TLC are signed to Atlanta's LaFace Records, co-owned by L.A. Reid and Kenneth Babyface Edmonds, himself a superstar artist and writer and producer. Big help with the slow jams. One presumes both those guys worked on TLC's record. So did Jermaine Dupri, who in 1992 helped bring the world crisscross. So did Dallas Austin, who in 1991, with the help of Michael Bivens from New Edition and Belle Biv DeVoe, helped bring the world both boys to men and another bad creation. All of these people, all of these artists, all of this music is essential to understanding where TLC came from. Have you listened to another bad creation lately? ABC? They were tweens. I'm delighted to say out loud that the first ABC album was called Coolin' at the Playground, you know. Their hit song, Aisha, is worth revisiting because Aisha is awesome. And it also gives you some idea of what cutting-edge pop music sounded like in 1991. All of this music is part of TLC, but does not begin to define TLC because T-Boz, Left Eye, and Chili are so magnetic that only they can define TLC sonically and visually. Their early videos are just these explosions of primary colors and outrageous fashion. The baggy pants, the overalls, the dayglow paint, Lisa's giant hat and giant sunglasses, T-Boz's Flintstones t-shirt I always quite liked. You could see these women so clearly even when they were on the radio and you could technically only hear them. 
they sounded like your friends. Like they'd never let you down. Like they'd always give it to you straight. Hence the condom. Right. Also, Lisa Lopez is known as Left Eye because of the condom affixed to her regular size glasses where the left lens should be. Safe sex. The vital life or death importance of safe sex is a major theme, arguably the major theme of the first TLC record, which will eventually sell 4 million copies in the United States alone. It was striking to me that two of the pop groups most outspoken in song about safe sex in the early 90s were TLC and salt and Pepper, who, of course, just named a whole hit song, Let's Talk About Sex. Lisa's condom glasses are a provocation, sure, but they're the furthest thing from an empty provocation. This is strikingly wholesome provocation. Put this on, she is saying, with her glasses. As the stakes get higher for TLC, as they sell way more records, as the shock value dials up both on their records and on the news, bear in mind that these are not people content with mere shock value. Their biggest hits are explicitly about something. Probably their biggest hit ever, for example, dedicates its second verse explicitly to the HIV crisis. Y'all don't want to hear me. You just want to dance. Okay, here's the chorus to Waterfalls. I'm not a monster. Once again, if you're old enough to rent a car, I'm guessing you can see Waterfalls, the song, whenever you hear Waterfalls, the song, the sexy predator, liquid silhouettes in the video. So we're on to 1994 and crazy, sexy, cool. And 11 million copies sold thanks primarily, but not entirely, to Waterfalls, produced and co-written by the Atlanta production crew Organized Noise, who of course worked extensively with Outkast. The TLC biopic would like to make it clear that Pebbles is no longer involved, though Dallas Austin and Babyface and Jermaine Dupree are back, alongside a few other artists, most notably Sean Puffy Combs. But forget all those guys. Crazy Sexy Cool, of course, is where T-Boz, Left Eye, and Chili become indomitable megastars. Megastars who talk about selling 10 million albums and still being broke, of course. It's striking to me that two of the groups most famous for selling tons of records but not making any money were TLC and salt and Pepper. Even so, even now, when you hear even like two seconds of creep, Here's two seconds of creep. Yes. You can see creep also just by hearing creep, the pajamas. Google the outtake from Atlanta, the show where the dudes are all dancing to creep. The TLC sound and style is just slightly less chaotic now. It's slicker, it's brighter, it's bigger, it's massive, but it's still forward thinking. It still attacks from odd angles. It's still unexpected, even if you've heard one of these songs 50,000 times. Waterfalls is extra wholesome provocation. It's this gigantic karaoke supernova anthem about restraint, about caution, 
Don't do that is just such a bizarre message for a huge pop song. Think of how good your song has to be so that everyone loves it, even though you're basically telling everyone to stay in their lane. It's as conscious as any conscious rap you'd care to name and like 50,000 times more fun than conscious rap. TLC are cutting edge pop music in 1994. Their every move is the new tradition. Nineteen ninety four is also the year Left Eye burns her boyfriend Andre Risen's house down. This is another one of these infamous celebrity pop star incidents that played out in real time, almost as slapstick tabloid comedy. Just something for CNN and MTV News to chuckle about. It's a darker, more violent, more action-packed version of Sinead O'Connor ripping up a picture of the Pope on Saturday Night Live, or Fiona Apple saying this world is bullshit at the VMAs, or much later, Britney Spears shaving her head and whacking an SUV with an umbrella. It's one of these controversies largely dismissed by much of the media at the time as crazy pop star does crazy thing, without much concern for why she might have done it. So in 1994, in the aftermath of Left Eye burning Andre Risen's house down, TLC are on the cover of Vibe magazine, dressed up like firemen. The headline in the magazine is The Fire This Time. Incredible. But Lisa Lopez, who is five foot one and 23 years old at this point, also talks in that story about the police investigation of the fire, about showing the police photos of the bruises on her face. The Vibe story talks about an earlier altercation in September 1993 in a grocery store parking lot in Atlanta, where bystanders reported seeing Andre hit Lisa and then fire a gun into the air. Andre and Lisa both denied to the police that any assault occurred. In the Vibe story, Ryzen denies all allegations of abuse. But Vibe also quotes L.A. Reid saying, The bottom line is that Lisa is a victim more than anything. People have got to ask themselves how there can be a fight between an all-pro athlete and a little girl. So now, when you're watching the hit TLC biopic, go ahead and enjoy that scene of Lil Mama dumping a bunch of shoes in a bathtub and lighting them on fire because they're not her size. But be careful with this word crazy. Be careful with this idea of Lisa simply as the crazy one. Here's Lisa talking to Vibe. Crazy, sexy, cool is a word we created to describe what's in every woman. Every woman has a crazy side, a sexy side, a cool side. A lot of our producers misunderstood us when we told them the idea. They do a crazy song for me, a sexy song for Chili, and a cool song for Tian. We had to explain that crazy, sexy, cool doesn't just describe us individually. It describes all the parts of every woman. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Can you imagine driving around, it's not even your car, driving around and seeing one of these three women walking down the street and having the audacity to think, I'm going to yell something out the window that'll make her want to have sex with me. What the hell are you doing? 
A scrub is a guy that thinks he's flying this Also known as a buster Always talking about what he wants And just sits on his broke ass soul This is incredibly helpful. The opening lines to No Scrubs, incredibly helpful. Every pop song that uses slang in the song title should be required by law to define the slang term within the first four lines of the song. They should amend the Constitution, the Scrubs doctrine. No Scrubs primarily belongs to Chili. The way she's luring you and pulling you closer while singing about pushing you as far away as possible, it's just the most stupendous pop star shit imaginable. No Scrubs is also about restraint, now that I think about it, for two seconds. It's don't do that, applied now to half the population by the other superior half of the population. No Scrubs was produced and co-written by Kevin Shakespeare Briggs, and Left Eye, of course, wrote her verse. But the bulk of the song was co-written by Candy Burris and Tamika Tiny Cottle of the Atlanta R&B group Escape, who for sure had some jams. Here's an Escape jam. You can't hang, fellas. Trust me. Here's the chorus to No Scrubs, by the way. I'm not a monster. I'm guessing you can see this song, too, just by hearing it. TLC's spaceship phase, their science fiction phase, the silver metallic outfits, especially where they're pretending to beat each other up at the end of the video because the set is rotating and they're trying not to fall over. Fan mail was largely produced by Dallas Austin, who by this point has a child with Chili, though still off in a rocky relationship with Chili. There's a lot of Y2K anxiety on this record. It's about the future and sounds like the future. The future, of course, in 1999 sounds quite a bit like Timbaland in places, but it often imagines the future as a very chilly, noisy, eerie, almost confrontationally intimate place. One of my favorite things about TLC album covers is that a different member of the group is in the middle on each of their first three covers. It's T-Boz this time. Their faces are tinted metallic blue with a backdrop of binary code. All the zeros and ones. TLC are in the matrix. TLC are the matrix. Fan mail is dedicated, of course, to their fans who remain legion. T-Boz says that when she met Lady Gaga in 2013, Lady Gaga raved about how unpretty changed her life because she was an unpretty outcast, too. You can look inside you. Unpretty was driven by acoustic guitar and spare and enormously vulnerable and, of course, itself a number one hit. There's this push and pull throughout fan mail. TLC are superstars, but they're also just people, delicate, exposed people. There's all these amazing paradoxes. There's a tremendous warmth even to the chilliness. Drake liked that song, Fan Mail, apparently, which of course means that Drake seized upon that song in 2016 and renamed it I Get Lonely Too because Drake gets lonely too, and he clarified that he gets lonely too. It's just you and me, we're 
Drake, he's got good taste, at least. Drake does. I'm going to level with you. Left Eye is more of a fleeting presence on the fan mail album. There were internal tensions, as there always are. That robotic voice chanting just like you in the TLC version of that song. That was Vicky, V-I-C hyphen capital E, the Android TLC created to rap often in left eye's place but all infighting aside it's just tragic to contemplate what these three women would have gone on to make together in the actual future lisa left eye lopez died in a car crash in honduras on april 25th 2002 i didn't have the heart to even foreshadow that here i don't really have the heart to even contemplate what a devastating loss this was the person and the artist she brought the swagger to TLC and the dexterity and the danger. And on No Scrub, she makes it clear that nobody was on her level, but she made everyone want to keep trying to get there anyway. If you can't spatially expand my horizons, then it leaves you in a class with scrubs, never rising. I don't find it surprising if you don't have the G's to please me and bounce from here to the coast of overseas. So- Left Eye had put out one troubled solo album, Supernova, in 2001. The next TLC album, which T-Boz and Chili finished after Left Eye passed, was released in October 2002 and was called 3D. That album title always upsets me a little. It's not that TLC were two-dimensional now without Left Eye. It's that pop music as a whole suddenly felt two-dimensional. Aaliyah had died in a plane crash just eight months before Left Eye's death and the loss of those two people alone. It's just too much to bear still. I think about all the ways the unified TLC would have gone on to define cutting-edge pop music in the 21st century or into the 25th century. Or really, I think about how it's beyond my imagining. These people, really, you just watched them in awe, which was preferable often to trying to talk to them or in any way interact with them. Briefly, let's address a few unfortunate byproducts of No Scrubs, the first of which comes to us courtesy of Weezer. Weezer! Hopefully this show never gets around to exploring this phenomenon of awkward white rock bands awkwardly covering rap and R&B hits for comedic effect. Dynamite Hack, doing Boys in the Hood, and what have you. That came out in the year 2000. Whoops, outside my purview. Too bad. We dodged that bullet. Weezer covered No Scrubs in 2019 on the Teal album. And in deference to the sentiment of the original song, I will keep my mouth shut and just tell you that Chili apparently loved it. She'd love to perform it with Weezer someday. As for covers of No Scrubs in general, she once said, quote, I totally get why any girl would do it, but when guys do it, I go, clearly, they're not scrubs. If they were scrubs, they wouldn't sing the song with this type of confidence. End quote. (sighs) Fair enough. Speaking of confidence, there is also the matter of sporty thieves. Sporty Thieves were a bunch of dudes from Yonkers. In 1999, they released an answer song to No Scrubs called No Pigeons. That's Thieves with a Z and Pigeons with a Z. 
I can't in good conscience play you the chorus to No Pigeons. I'm not a monster. Melody was not Sporty Thieves' strong suit. But okay, this was pretty funny. It was kind of funny. The memes weren't as dank in 1999. No Pigeons felt like an admission of defeat in advance. It felt like a sign of respect to TLC and the utter dominance TLC projected, even at their most vulnerable, because very few people in history have sounded so inviting while singing, in essence, Get Out My Life, Why Don't You Babe? We're so thrilled today to welcome Danielle Smith, host of the new Ringer podcast, Black Girl Songbook. She's the former editor-in-chief of Billboard and Vibe and author of the upcoming book, Shine Bright, A Personal History of Black Women in Pop. Thank you so much for being here, Danielle. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. We're thrilled to have you. I, you know, you started at Vibe in the early 90s. I think you were running Vibe by 1997 or so. What was the perception of TLC around that time? Like, they're superstars, crazy, sexy, cool is this massive success, but there's also a lot of personal chaos around them. Like, do you think they were getting the respect they deserved critically and artistically, or did that chaos kind of drown them out? I definitely don't think that chaos drowned them out. Uh, that's how big they were, honestly. Yeah. It was a TLC world, and we were just <laughs> living in it. Like, they really <laughs> controlled everything. I mean, everybody forgets, and I think it's still true, that they're the they're the largest selling girl group in the history of, of, of music overall. And so they were never not on the radio. They were never not on... Um, you know, MTV, when MTV mattered with regard to playing um, videos, they were never not on BET. They were everywhere. If you went out, that's what was playing. If you were walking down the street, that's what was coming out of people's car windows. It was a fun time. What do you think it was about them? Like, there were other people mixing rap and hip-hop, you know, into a new kind of pop. But I did, did they sound like the future to you, you know, in 1994 or in 1999? Like, what was it about them that made them so emblematic of that time? Well, I think the main thing that made them so emblematic was their style. I think that we had grown very used to uh, girl groups always matching their outfits, number one usually wearing gowns or dresses. And all of a sudden, here were these three girls who looked like they were on their way to a rap show. <laughs> and they were going to be the cutest girls in the space when they got there. And yeah. they walked with a lot of sass and confidence down to the hat to the back. So it was so freeing. You have to understand, if you were a girl in rap back then like I was and who loved rap and went out to rap shows Man, it just looked like, finally, I have somebody that represents me. Right. I, there's this new Britney Spears documentary about how gross the media treatment of Britney Spears has always been, the way the media over-sexualized over this teenage girl and then punished her for being too sexual. Like, it's amazing to me now that any major female pop star even survived the 90s. Were TLC at least able to fight back against that exploitation a little? I mean, they were. But it was still rough on them. It was hard being a black girl in, in pop back then. And in many ways, it's the same now. Yeah. And it definitely was that way in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. So I think the thing that helped them is that because of their style, as I mentioned, because of their manner of dress and the way they carried themselves 
they just look like the wrong three chicks to be messing with. And I think it helped them a lot. I think when they did interviews, when they when they appeared at award shows, you didn't look like you really wanted to mess with them. I'm not trying to get in T-Boz's way on any occasion. You know what I mean? Even right now. So, and I say that with massive love and massive respect, T-Boz, wherever you are right now. But um, I think that did help them a little bit. And also, it was a time, I think, when groups started being just more outspoken about things like that. I think we were at right. the beginning of that. And I think they were very clear why they dressed the way they dressed and why they moved mm-hmm. the way they moved. That's what I love about No Scrubs is it's a beautiful song about how you should not even attempt to approach me. You know, like, just don't even try to talk to me. I know you want to, but like, don't. Don't do it's it. Just, it's a <laughs> Man, listen, that song, like that song? <laughs> that song. I remember. So this was, I mean, am I here to like tell old stories from the old days and be like all nostalgic? Is that the goal? That is the vibe around here. So please. Okay, so so since I have my freedom to do so, I'm lucky that I first heard the song in a suite at the Four Seasons in New York City. L.A. Reid used to have listenings there, private listenings for uh, journalists. And he would either do them in his office or do them in the suite. And it would be so dope because he would literally have speakers floor to ceiling. I don't even know. He had to have rented out the whole floor and maybe the floor below because it was like being like at a concert. So, you know, I'm leaving work. I go up there and, you know, I knew L.A. We had a business relationship, but I could tell when he was excited about something, a piece of music. He's from the Clive Davis School. They can't hide it. And he played No Scrubs. And I've been in a lot of listening sessions. And I like to feel like I can pick number ones, too. That I feel like that's my superpower. <laughs> it's a good superpower. It's really not that great, but I've been right a couple of times. But, man, I definitely was just like, this is a whole different type of record. And it's so good. And it's so sneaky, as you said. It's so mm-hmm. pretty. And it's so, like, disrespectful at the same time. <laughs> Yes. So, man, I just, I think I listened to it with Mr. Reed for like probably six or eight times. And I'm still listening to it with the same joy. Do you think the other people in the room, the other people who heard it that way, knew it too? Was it like an instance, this is going to be one of the songs, if not the song that defines them? Was that obvious even in the moment? I mean, like I said, it was just he and I and uh, one of his uh, colleagues when I heard it. but. I can only imagine, like, I mean, it, the song is the song is quite magical. You know how much labor went into it, right? From mm-hmm. the negotiations to who got the song even and all of those things. But it all just rings off so effortless, like it was effortless. Right, right. There's a great Vibe cover story on TLC from 1994. Joan Morgan wrote it, and it was right after the Andre Risen house fire, and on the cover, TLC are dressed up as firefighters. And I, I saw on Twitter, someone recently asked you about it, and you just said, it was an intense in- editorial time. I, <laughs> I was wondering, how so? <laughs> I mean, in fairness, the entire history of Vibe is an intense editorial time, but... Um, I can imagine, yeah. Yes, the great Joan Morgan wrote that story, and I edited the story, and the great Alan Lighttop edited me on the story. 
just when I think about those times, man, like, we all knew, like, so well, like, what to do and how to be editors and how to sell a magazine. We were all under pressure all the time. The magazine always seemed like if we don't sell this issue, the magazine is going to go under. So there was that type of intensity, especially at the very beginning. And then rap and R&B was so alive and so, like, it was never not moving. Like, it was always something was happening. There was tragedy. There was joy. There was death. There was life. There was marriage. There was hate. Like, I mean, you, like, everything was happening. Yeah. Setting trends, trends getting stolen. And so then Lisa burns the house down. There's no way, even with everything that was going on in rap, that we saw that coming. Like, Yeah. And I don't think that many of us, frankly, were even thinking about it as intelligently as we might now with regard to domestic violence and things like that. Right. That's to me when Lisa got this reputation for being the quote unquote crazy one. Mm-hmm. And uh, no one was really talking about her partner being crazy. Right, right, exactly. It's 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 a story to her mind about domestic abuse, and yeah. it's I, I feel like it would be talked about completely differently now as it opposed would. to then. Like like almost everything major that happened in pop, especially to to female pop stars back then. Yeah, it was wild. I wasn't at the shoot, but it was not an easy decision for that to be the cover. There was a lot of conversation about how they came to be wearing the outfits. And yeah. yeah, it was it was a wild time. What was the response to the story to the cover? Pretty overwhelmingly, uh, we we paid attention. There was no social media, so we literally paid attention to the letters that we received. Right. And vibe, I will say, we got an insane amount of reader mail. There's just not that many black publications. People were very engaged. I feel like just the way black people over-index at social, they over-indexed on writing <laughs> letters to the editor. Um, so right. we got a lot of mail. And people, you know, I would say, if I remember correctly, that it was pretty strongly in favor. One, of Joan wrote a brilliant story. That's the first part. And then, obviously, the images were compelling and on time for the moment. And, I mean, yeah, it sold like crazy. Yeah, Awesome. I do you have a particular favorite TLC album or era? Like I could have easily talked about Ain't Too Proud to Beg for 20 minutes or Waterfalls of course, but No Scrubs seems to be the biggest TLC song now. Like what holds up the best for you? Oh, I'm a, I'm that girl that's here for Creep. So, yeah, yes. like I'm what? Like are you kidding? <laughs> like the the first album is like, "Ooh, okay, I'm in it for the clothes." <laughs> right. The second album I guess I was kind of still in it for the clothes because those satin pajamas. It's very nice pajamas, yes. Are etched into my brain. I wanted them. (laughs) I don't have really the shape to be doing all of that. But at the same time, I, I felt like I could maybe try. And the thing was, though, it's like there was a song out not too long before that from Luther Vandross. I think it's a cover of a Stevie Wonder song. Creep into my dreams or whatever. And I'm like, you're going to come out with a song called Creep on top of Luther's like iconic record? Like, are you serious? And then it's working. (laughs) Like, it's working. Yeah. 
I love that record. It's like classic mid-tempo situation and just, Mm -hmm. and also of the three, you know, everybody has their favorite Supreme. Everybody has their favorite member of TLC. And I do rock with T-Boss. T-Boss. Yeah. Is that just is that just because you don't want to be on her bad side? I mean, or that's, it's kind that of it? that, honestly. But the thing is, T-Boss haircut was always like so amazing. Yes. And let's be honest, T-Boss got so much bass in her voice. Like her voice is like the sexiest like voice. One of the more underrated vocalists, I think, in R&B and, and pop. And, you know, everyone doesn't sing with the with a gospel, you know, bedrock. And T-Boss doesn't. Yeah. I, you're from Oakland, so I wanted to ask you about En Vogue, who were huge starting in 1990. Yes. I think Funky Divas came out in 1992, the same year as the first TLC album. Like People seem to tend to think of Atlanta as like this hermetically sealed lab. But is there a lot of En Vogue in TLC, for starters? You know what's so funny is I really think of them in the same sentence. That's wild. Um, is there a lot of in vogue in TLC? I mean, there's a lot of, you know, it's more to me that they're just from a long tradition of girl groups. I think that TLC chose to turn the model on its head. In vogue chose to push it to its extreme. But I don't know if I mean, man, listen, I was in Atlanta when LaFace was down there and yeah. all of that stuff was jumping off pebbles and all the cool kids worked at LaFace and it didn't seem uh, sealed to me. It seemed like Mardi Gras. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it was a party town, man. And it seemed like every Black person from around the United States of America who was a music creative or a sports uh, star or anything like that was moving to Atlanta. People were calling it the New Harlem. And it was alive, man. I remember when I was R&B editor at Billboard, I went down there. We used to have to do this thing where you had to cover a local record store Mm. whenever you traveled for any reason. You had to find a local store. And like interview them and stuff? Oh, yeah. So you say it just like that because that's just how it was. It was so <laughs> boring, right? So people yes. would be so lacking personality, but not at the Atlanta record store. No. Was like, no. It was on and popping at the record store. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it was, uh, <laughs> Atlanta was alive, but I'm from Oakland, so nothing compares. No, well, I was going to ask, like the early 90s in the Bay Area, you have En Vogue, you have Digital Underground, you have Tony, Tony, Tony. I mean, what was it like to be there right as the city is helping define rap and R&B for the whole country? I was having the time of my life. I would not be sitting here with you right now if it wasn't for that energy in Oakland at that time. There is yeah. no way that I would be a music writer right right now if it wasn't for the Tonys, if it wasn't for En Vogue, if it wasn't for Too Short if it wasn't for Digital Underground, other random crews like K-Cloud and the crew and Primo and all these bands and stuff, everybody didn't get famous. You know what I mean, Spice One? Everybody didn't get famous, but everybody was doing the damn thing. And if you were my age at that time and we were all coming up together, like it infused you with like ambition and it infused you with like, trying to make the world understand rap. People got to remember, it was a subculture back then. So we were a part of a vibrant subculture. I sound like my colleague and friend, uh, Ann Powers from NPR. Ann and I both worked at SF Weekly. And when I say Ann and I both worked at SF Weekly, I mean Ann brought me to SF Weekly. (laughs) But it was a vibrant subculture. 
It was the most fun I ever had in my entire life, probably until I married my husband. Man, the shows, the parties, the all yeah. of it. And I know a lot of those people personally, and they're a good group. And I can't not mention Stanley Kirk Burrell, a.k.a. MC Hammer, um, who really jumped yeah. it off for all of us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's so devastating to think about losing Left Eye and Aaliyah in a matter of months. I think it was like eight months exactly. Like, is there any way to describe what we lost, like what black music lost when we lost just those two people? Yeah, it, it's too much. I mean, I have an ongoing thing where I don't think those two have yet, they have yet to be mourned properly by the culture. They were not held up as high as they could be in life, and that has carried over into their death and afterlife. I feel like I'm always searching for Aaliyah's music on the DSPs. I feel like her catalog is is spread out or not organized. Um, it's terrible. You can't get to it, right? I feel like everyone paints um, left eye as like, oh, she was crazy, and then she got her mind right, and she went to give back to the community, and then she right. got crazy, and somehow she, there was a car accident, and then it's like, but where's the movie? Right, right. Where's the documentary? Where's the like deep and intense like uh, investigation into that? whole situation the week before her death and the week afterward. Where's that right. podcast for? I mean, maybe that's what I should be doing over a Black Girl Songbook, but um, I'm not the only person. Like, there's so many great Black culture writers, so many culture writers and creators, period. Those women need their legacies wrapped up better than they are right now. Yeah. I, I love Black Girl Songbook so much, oh, and I'm so happy. Thank you. And it's like, what are your goals for it, you know, ultimately? And is that your goal for it, to try and raise up these people who are just not thought of the way that they should be, you know, not mourned the way that they should be and just celebrated the way that they should be? Is, is that what you're trying to do? I mean, to be honest, yes. So, you know, you mentioned my book, Shine Bright, A Personal History of Black Women Pop. And the thing that I realized when I was researching that book is how little there is out there about Black women in pop and that if we didn't have magazines like Vibe, um, like Ebony, uh, like Jet, like Essence and so many other affinity publications, we wouldn't know very much about the genius of Black women at all, especially the details about it. Right. And so over the course of researching and writing that book, I just said to myself, the book is not going to be enough. Yeah. I'd like to speak on it. And I'm so, you know, blessed and excited to be in business with The Ringer and Spotify on this. Yeah, because, you know, I've been listening to The Supremes all week just because Mary Wilson just passed. And that's not somebody that's known as well as she should be. Mm -mm. She's not. I mean, one of the more ridiculous stories of my life is that, so as a, like a senior, I think, in high school or a junior, we had to write a paper for the year. And I decided that my paper was going to, this is like a 12-page paper. So not even that many words. Right. So I decided that my topic was how the Beatles affected teen culture in America. Wow. That's going to take way more than 12 pages. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, right? So <laughs> like no one told me, shout out to Mrs. Lujan. Mrs. Lujan, you could have told me to like narrow my topic. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, doing that research, right? Also, the Supremes are right next to the Beatles, right? Right, of course. They traded number ones back and forth. 
They were trading like platinum albums, gold albums back and forth. They recorded each other's records, right? But yeah. who's held up in the culture even now as the geniuses? Right, of course. So this is the kind of thing I've been thinking about for yeah. ever. Well, I'm so glad to talk to you, Danielle. Thank you so much for being here. No, no, no. I thank you. I thank you. I love the podcast as well. I feel super jamming to be on it. Like I'm over here with the cool kids where you guys are doing all the cool <laughs> SHIT. So thank you for having me. And I hope you guys have me back. Anytime. Absolutely, we will. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks very much to our guest, Danielle Smith. Thanks to our producers, Isaac Lee and Justin Sales. And thanks, as always, to you for listening. And now, without further ado, here are TLC with no scrubs. We'll see you next week.